everyone, welcome to Osteobites. My name is Christina Iptoma and I am mom to Osteo Angel Dylan and the Director of Scientific Programs for MIB Agents. And today on Osteobites, we are talking with Dr. Bilal Omar about armored CAR T cells for osteosarcoma, a phase one trial of GD2 CAR T cells combined with a novel interleukin-7 signal. Thank you so much, Dr. Omar, for joining us on Osteobites today. We're thrilled to have you and thank you to Matt Allen for joining us as a panelist today. Matt is an MIB Agents Junior Advisory Board member and Osteo Angel sibling. So Dr. Bal Omar is a physician at Texas Children's Cancer Center. In 2013, he completed his fellowship training in pediatric hematology, hematology oncology. He's a member of the Bone Marrow Transplant Stem Cell Transplant Team and Medical Director at the Center for Cell and Gene Therapy at Texas Children's Hospital, Baylor College of Medicine. He's the principal investigator on four clinical trials for cell therapy. And so last week we had Dr. Breland Wilkie who gave us a great overview of the immunotherapy landscape for osteosarcoma. And Dr. Omer's work popped up a couple of times during that conversation. So it's great that we can do a deeper dive with you today. Um, before we get started, I do have a few reminders. Um, we have a little over four weeks left until our factor conference. Um, so register now. We'll put all the information in the chat with um, all the links to get more information. Um, we do have a couple of exciting updates. First, the detailed agenda is now up and available so you can check out the different panels, the speakers and the presentation topics. Um, you'll see some really cool programming in there like sound bath and healing touch, which are things you probably won't see at a regular um, scientific conference, but these are part of a new wellness track that we're adding this year um, that may be of particular interest to families that are in treatment or bereaved families who may need a break from the scientific session. So um, check those out. Um, it's another reason to come. And then um, secondly, we just opened up virtual registration. So we'll be live streaming um, the scientific sessions um, of the events. So if you aren't able to travel, you can catch the scientific sessions um, either streaming live or um, after the fact on demand. Nothing beats the energy of being at Factor in person and um, connecting and interacting with the colleagues and seeing all the patients and families in person. But virtual is a great alternative if you can't travel to San Diego this year. And uh, lastly, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor of this episode, BTG Specialty Pharmaceuticals. BTG provides rescue medicines typically used in emergency rooms and intensive care units to treat patients for whom there are limited treatment options. They are dedicated to delivering quality medicines that make a real difference to patients and their families through the development, manufacture, and commercialization of pharmaceutical products. Their current portfolio of antidotes counteracts certain snake venoms and the toxicity associated with some heart and cancer medications. Their drug viroxase is for high-dose methotrexate toxicity. All right, now Matthew, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you, Christina. Um, my name is Matthew Allen. I'm a member of the Junior Advisory Board uh, for 2021 and now 2022. Uh, I'm the brother of an osteo angel and I've previously been involved with MIB doing gamer agents. And yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. So I'll throw it over to Dr. Omer to get started. Uh, thank you so much for the kind introduction and um, thank you, Matthew, for being a, being a panelist. Um, so feel free to interrupt me with like any questions. So, you know, I don't mind at all, you know, so, so this is, um, you know, can be a little bit complicated. Um, so, you know, feel free to kind of, um, you know, stop me at any time if, if it's kind of, um, you know, not clear or something, um, and if, you know, if you want something explained. Um, so, so kind of um, starting with some basics. So um, um, we use T cells kind of as a platform for our treatment. Um, so if you kind of look at blood, you know, there's white blood cells, there's red blood cells and there's platelets. Um, so on the white blood cells, um, we have immune cells and part of these immune cells um, um, are lymphocytes. Um, and lymphocytes um, are responsible um, to, to fight uh, infections, especially with viruses. Um, so certainly in the context of COVID, a lot of you, you probably have heard about kind of T cell response and B cell responses. Um, so B cells make antibodies, uh, but then T cells are able to directly target um, um, cells that are um, either infected with the virus, for example, or for example, abnormal cells that, that are becoming cancerous. So T cells can actually directly kill um, these, these types of cells. Um, so T cells are a very important part of our uh, immune system. 
Um, and in a way, they're kind of like a, you know, like a smart part of the immune system. So there's some other cells that are just kind of, you know, they, they look for very kind of basic kind of foreign antigens, but T cells are very um, sophisticated. They can interrogate cells. They can recognize, um, you know, millions and millions of antigens um, and they can, um, and then they can kill um, target cells in a controlled manner. So without causing like um, usually kind of excessive kind of um, tissue damage. Um, so there will still be an inflammation, but there wouldn't really be any kind of tissue damage. Uh, so we kind of take advantage of this. Um, um, so we actually arm these T cells with the chimeric antigen receptor. Um, so we can build these receptors. So there's a recognition area that, that can actually bind to a target. Um, so we, we would pick a target that's expressed on a tumor cell. Um, and then um, once the, the, the recognition area binds to, to the tumor cells or the target, um, and then um, kills the cell. Um, so this is a, a very artificial type of receptor. Um, so it's not something that that is actually really um, present in, in nature. So it's a it's a pretty artificial system. And what it essentially does is kind of you know turn these um, T cells into into these these killer cells. So when they see this antigen, um, they just kill the cell. So they don't really care about you know this is like a friendly cell or you know tumor cell or infected cell, not infected cell. Um, so when they have this uh, this CAR receptor, they they just they just kill up that cell, um, and no questions asked essentially. Um, so you have to be very you know very um, um, it's very important that you kind of pick a good antigen because otherwise they they're going to start killing off healthy cells because they don't you know when, once they have this CAR receptor they'll they'll kill off any cell that has the target. Um, so in the leukemia settings of blood cancers. Um, People have, we've been doing this for years and with very good success rates. So there's a number of um, FDA approved treatments now um, using CAR T cells. Um, and the, um, the response rates are pretty, pretty high. So like, for example, for acute lymphovascular leukemia in children. Um, so most patients who get these CAR T cells um, are multiply relapsed and they have failed a lot of other treatments. And so when you give these, um, this, these CAR T cells, um, we get response rates of about 80% um, of, of these patients um, achieve a complete remission. And then about of half of these patients, so maybe about 40% actually um, don't need any other treatment. So if you just give a single infusion of CAR T cells, and these patients do get a lot of inflammation, uh, but then after the inflammation dies down, uh, about 40% of these patients are completely cured of, um, of leukemia. Um, so in theory, this is a very compelling treatment because essentially you can do like one, one infusion um, and you know potentially this this can um, you know this this can kill all of the tumor cells, um, and then this these CAR T cells can actually they can they can persist in the body for a pretty long time, um, and um, usually they kind of go up um, persist long uh, for some time and they kind of start going down, um, and um, they can actually patrol the body for for months um, and um, uh, and and look for any kind of remaining tumor cells, um, and um, you know, we kind of take advantage of that by, um, by, by again, um, in the leukemia setting, and by just sometimes just doing like a single infusion. Um, so, so this is kind of like how we how we make these T cells. So first we take a sample uh, blood sample from a patient, and then we separate the uh, mother blood cells from the T cells, and then we introduce the DNA with the CAR gene um, with the patient cells, and we actually use like um, inactivated viruses um, to, to accomplish that. Um, and then once we put the, the DNA in the, in the T cells, um, we grow them in the lab until we have enough cells. You know, depending on the indication, we usually make, you know, a couple hundred million cells and then we kind of freeze them down and kind of um, use them um, for some time. Um, and they, they actually stay stable in the freezer for years. Um, Dr. Omar, I actually have a question for you about that. I know some other uh, CAR-T trials will require apheresis to acquire the sample. And so can you talk about the difference between, with this trial, it's actually pretty easy to just send a, 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 you know, a few vials of blood in the mail um, versus having to do apheresis. So can you kind of explain maybe kind of the difference between those two different collection methods and yeah, sure. So, so apheresis is like a way to kind of get like a lot of uh, lymphocytes at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. so if you do apheresis and you get like a, you know, huge amount of T cells, then you kind of use them in the lab. So if you just do a blood, um, you know, if you just do a blood draw, you don't get as many T cells. Um, so um, we, we definitely get less T cells than apheresis, but um, we actually get very good expansion of our CAR T cells. 
Um, so even without um, a freeze, we can actually really get um, high cell numbers. Um, and um, we actually don't infuse um, super high cell numbers. Um, and um, one reason is I'll talk about the cytokine gene in a second. So I think these, uh, even at lower cell numbers, um, we actually get a very good expansion and um, kind of very good um, you know, potency. Um, so, so we don't need like the really high kind of starting T cell numbers. So, so for that reason, um, like you said, um, we actually don't need the A3s. So what we actually do for most patients, we, um, we um, collect 60 ml of blood, so about two ounces of blood. Um, the blood is um, often shipped to us. Um, so we receive, receive the blood, um, we check the T cells, can make sure they look okay. Um, and then we can freeze them down and then we can actually make the, make the CAR T cells at any, any time after that. Um, and um, there's some concern in the field that so if you, if you grow the CAR T cells for too long, and they start getting tired and exhausted. Um, so um, I mean, initially, people used to grow these CAR T cells for, for two weeks and you can get like a huge amount of T cells. Um, but I think there's um, increasing concern that if you grow them too long, by the time you infuse them, they're already kind of at the end of their lifespan. Um, so the goal right now is to, um, to kind of shorten the time of manufacture. Um, so our manufacturing time is about um, one week. Um, which is kind of in line with what, what people are at the moment trying to accomplish. Um, you know, it is possible that maybe in the future we'll say, well, maybe in one week is too long, let's kind of go for five weeks. And in that case, um, you know, potentially might have to go back to apheresis. Um, but um, um, currently our one week manufacturing time is actually really good and kind of um, um, in line with like what, what most other trials do, like the, the kind of more newer, kind of more modern trials. Great, thanks. Um, sure. So, so going to like the, the signal. So, so there's like three signals that um, the T cells need. Um, so signal one, signal two, and signal three. And I'm not going to go into too much detail <clears throat> about this, but so the, the very initial CAR T cells just at signal one. Um, so they just um, were able to kill the tumor cells. And um, um, while they killed the tumor cells, there wasn't really any kind of long-term um, success with this. So all of the standard CAR T cells now that are FDA, appro FDA approved, and there's a number of them now, they all have signal one and they all have like a signal two as part of their gene. Um, so if they recognize a, a tumor cell, you get the signal one and then you get signal two, which is the, uh, which is uh, called a like co-stimulatory signal. Um, and um, well, these two signals seem to be enough to actually, um, you know, get the good results that we've seen in the leukemia and blood cancer setting. Um, what they don't have is signal three, and um, and the thought is you don't really need signal three because um, we give chemotherapy before the chemotherapy causes a lot of, lot of inflammation. Um, inflammation uh, means a lot of cytokines, um, so there's a lot of cytokines kind of floating around in the bloodstream. Leukemia cells are in the bloodstream, so as soon as the CAR T cells are infused um, um, in leukemia, they see all the cytokine from the from the chemotherapy. Um, so um, so people don't really worry about cytokine uh, signal three in the leukemia setting because like the thought is like the um, the cytokine is floating around because like we make it um, we 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 increase the inflammation from the from the chemotherapy before um, so we don't really have to kind of provide that extra cytokine um, and um, but because of that all of the CAR T cells that are currently FDA approved they all use um, what's called the depletion so like they all use um, the same type of chemotherapy, which is cyclophosphamide and fludarabine before. Um, but what we think is like, so what we think is that um, salt tumors are a little bit different, you know, so we have, um, you know, osteosarcoma as a salt tumor. So that means like, you know, there's like a big, big chunk of tumor cells that's sitting somewhere um, in a bone or somewhere else in the lungs. Um, so, um, so the problem is like when the, when the tumor cells get to the, to the actual tumor, um, and there's not a lot of cytokine around. Um, so there's like a lot of data that um, th these tumors um, um, have a way to, um, to kind of change the environment. Um, so when the, when the T cells get there, there's not much oxygen, uh, there's not, not a lot of nutrients. Um, and importantly, there's like um, very little cytokine. Um, um, so like I said, in, um, in leukemia, there's like plenty of cytokine floating around and the tumor cells are just floating around. Um, so we don't have to worry about that too much. Um, but in salt tumors, it's different. Um, so the T cells get there, but they don't have the signal three. Um, so they're not completely activated. So what happens after a couple of days, they, they essentially die off. Um, so 
we were thinking um, when we started this project that there's just not, not enough signal three um, for these CAR T cells, and we have to figure out a way to provide this um, this signal three. Um, and um, as I mentioned, so this this whole um, CAR receptor is engineered. So um, we we thought we can engineer a cytokine receptor in a in a manner similar to like the this this CAR receptor. And um, when we initially kind of started work on this, there wasn't really like a term for this, um, but um, recently um, people have um, started using the term armored CAR T cells for this. Um, so like CAR T cells that have this extra signal three are called, um, some, some people now call them armored uh, CAR T cells. Um, so there's a number of different cytokines um, and, um, and T cells um, don't necessarily have to have all of the cytokines. So they need, there's some key cytokines um, um, that, um, that are most beneficial to T cells. And we think one of the most important ones is um, IL-7, so interleukin-7. Um, and the reason that we think it's very important is like it helps, it can help both younger and older T cells. Some of the cytokines are really just good for young T cells. Some of the uh, cytokines are really just good for old T cells, but IL-7 is actually good for, for all of the T cell populations. Um, and then secondly, so if you, um, if you expand T cells quickly, so if they grow very quickly, um, and um, if you have other cytokines, they don't prevent um, T cell death. But if you have um, IL-7, um, even after they um, expand a lot, um, these T cells can survive longer. Um, so that was the second reason for us to look at um, IL-7 um, as, um, as a potential um, cytokine to, to provide the signal three. Um, so, so we focused on like an um, IL-7 mutant. So, so this gets a little bit technical um, here. Um, but um, we essentially um, are using like a slightly mutated um, IL-7 receptor. And the reason for that is, uh, is um, usually IL-7, um, once it provides signal to the T cells, um, it goes inside the cell really quickly and, and stops working. Um, so if you want um, something that works for longer, you have to um, change it a little bit. Um, so uh, and we mutate it um, so it can actually um, stay on the on the T cell surface and not and not disappear after a couple of hours, a couple of days. Um, so we use the um, IL-7 mutant um, that um, essentially always kind of keeps like the the, the interleukin-7 activated. So that means you always get signal three um, to the T cells. You always have interleukin-7. Um, so you can um, you always have like enough um, essentially fuel for the T cells as long um, as the the tumor antigen is there. So like I mentioned, so the T cells need um, signal one, signal two, and signal three. Um, so, so the thought is as long as there's like signal one, which is like the tumor, um, um, these T cells will have, have enough drive to kind of keep, um, keep, keep expanding and keep surviving because um, like now they also have the signal three. Um, and then we made a couple other tweaks to this, um, to this uh, interleukin seven so we can easily detect it um, in the bloodstream so we can um, so that we kind of track these T cells and kind of see like how much of the interleukin seven is on the cells. Um, so, so generally, you know, we try to minimize, um, you know, animal experiments, um, you know, to, you know, we're, I think uh, all, all of us are very kind of conscious of, you know, trying to kind of use as little animal experiments as possible, but, you know, before we actually um, put something in a clinical trial to test the patients, um, we have to do uh, at least some animal experiments. And so we tested this um, C7R, um, we call this C7R signal three um, gene. Um, so we, so you can kind of see here, you know, these are, you know, these are, um, these, these are mice here. Um, these are like the, um, this is the survival curve. And you can see if you just have a um, regular CAR T cell, you can see that the, the tumor is controlled a little bit and then these mice, um, you know, do survive a bit longer. Uh, but then with the C7R, you can see that all of, except for one mouse, all of these mice were actually cured. Um, you know, so that was pretty encouraging to us. And we had a, you know, a couple different mouse models where we tested this and, you know, we, we, we kept getting the same results. Um, so, so with this encouraging data, we, we did um, make a, uh, we, we did apply um, for a phase one clinical trial. Um, so essentially this is like the, the outline. Um, so um, first, of course, you have to make the product. Um, so that takes a little time. Um, the actual manufacture of the T cells doesn't take very much, as I just mentioned. So just a week. Um, but um, you know, coordinating the blood draw um, takes some time. And then we do do a, a lot of testing. Um, so the testing um, can take 
anywhere from like two weeks to four weeks, uh, depending like, you know, if you have to repeat anything. Um, and then uh, for some patients, um, we, we did the lymph depletion. So this is the standard chemotherapy that uh, people tend to get before all the CAR T cells. Um, and then we infused the T cells um, and we actually um, tested a couple different doses. Um, an initial dose, we actually tested um, the CAR T cells without any kind of chemotherapy. And then we had three dose levels where we're testing um, these CAR T cells, uh, 10 million cells, um, 30 million cells, and 100 million cells. Um, and then, you know, of course, then after that, we, we can follow the T cells um, and kind of see how they expand. And then, of course, we at one point, we want to see, you know, is there any type of response um, in terms of the, the tumor. Um, so um, some results from the clinical trials in terms of the manufacture. Um, so like I said, we are able to uh, manufacture those T cells in about a week, um, but we do have to do extensive testing. Um, so far, we haven't had any failures um, in terms of making the lines. Um, and, and like we talked about before, we don't need a lot of blood. We just need about a blood, one ounce of blood for the manufacturer and then like one ounce of blood for, um, for testing of the blood for various pathogens. Um, and then we, have, we use double transduction limits. So that means we actually have two different genes. Um, so we, we have two different steps where in the first step, we put in the CAR gene. And then in the second step, we put in like the, um, the cytokine gene. Um, Dr. Omer, just another question for you about the manufacturer, because I think this is somewhat, um, I don't know how unique this is, but at least from the trials I'm familiar with, unique your study. Um, so not only just the, the collection is a little uh, simpler from the patient perspective, but also um, I think the trial had been broken out into the collection phase, collection and manufacturing phase, and then the actual uh, therapy phase. And so I, I know just from personal experience, we were able to send in sample for manufacturer much early on, like before we actually needed to start therapy, which was fantastic though, because then when we needed to start therapy, the product was already ready to go. Um, so that seems somewhat unusual, um, again, from what I've, I've, I've seen. So I'm just curious how you're able to to do that. I mean, it also sounds like it's kind of an, a budget issue because I'm sure it's um, an expensive endeavor to manufacture and with uh, not knowing for certain that they will get used. Um, yet it seems like there is a lot to learn from that whole testing the manufacturing um, piece of this, this trial. So I, I don't know if you could just address that because I actually think it's a great way to um, really increase enrollment, honestly, because um, you're able to, to get that sample collection easy. It could be done more easily up front so that by the time a patient is ready to actually start therapy, everything is ready to go. Because as you know, oftentimes when a patient's disease is advancing, like they may not have, you know, two, three months to kind of get all the stuff going. They kind of need to start therapy right away. Yeah, and I think, I think you're, you're, you're um, hinting at some really, really important um, kind of points. Um, um, and, and I agree, so I think having that flexibility, I think is helpful. Um, you know, we, like I said, I think there's like a budget factor because like, you know, making these lines probably costs, you know, 15, $20,000 kind of for each line. Um, you know, so if you make them, you know, it's a lot of work, a lot of costs. So um, on the other side, I think it's, you know, um, it's, it's much easier probably to treat the patient who has like, like a lower disease burden, you know, we, um, and also sarcoma, we don't have as much experience yet. Um, with neuroblastoma, we have a lot of experience. Um, and in neuroblastoma, it's very clear, you know, patients who don't have that much disease, um, they respond much better to CAR T cells. You know, so if like smaller tumors, you know, like talking about like two, three centimeters and like an inch, um, and when those, those patients um, can have complete responses and, you know, or, you know, very good partial responses. You know, once you get to a point where you have like now very disseminated disease or now very bulky tumors, you know, very big tumors, um, I think it's just much harder to kind of respond to, to CAR T cells in general. Um, so, um, so yes, I, I do think it's, um, you know, potentially like having that option to kind of say, well, you know, right now the tumor is very small or maybe like even, in, you know, in, in, in remission or not, you know, barely detectable. And we're kind of trying something else, um, um, you know, making the CAR T cells in the meantime. I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's actually, I think, a, a pretty... Uh, pretty promising approach because um, like then you can um, you know treat a patient who has like smaller tumors and um, 
you know, again, like, you know, with a probably like higher chance of success than like if someone was like, you know, big bulky tumor. Um, you know, if, if you think about, you know, if you think we are infusing like 10 million CAR T cells, um, but if you think about like a big bulky tumor, there's probably billions and billions and billions of T cells. So like each, you know, CAR T cell has to, has to, has to kill off, you know, thousands of tumor cells. Um, you know, so if, if, if you have a much smaller tumor, um, the amount of tumor cells can be, can be a lot lower, or like even, even less than that. Um, so, um, so yes, you know, I, I do think it's probably a good thing to, you know, if, if, if there's a, there, there's a high chance that these um, cells are going to be needed at some point to, to kind of think about this relatively early on, um, instead of kind of waiting to like kind of the last second, um, and, um, you know, when, when the tumor is rapidly growing and it's very big, um, so, so yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. Um, so, so another thing we kind of started doing is like, um, we initially didn't require any testing for osteosarcoma. Um, we know that um, essentially all of the neuroblastoma um, tumors we test are positive for GD2. Uh, and that we assumed that the same was true for osteosarcoma. Um, and it is not that easy to test for GD2. I'm like, it, it took us a while to kind of, you know, um, get a, um, get get like a protocol going where we felt we got pretty reliable um, staining results um, so early on we were not testing all of the patients and we then you know once we had this um, protocol going and we're pretty convinced it's uh, it's working well we started testing i started testing all of the osteosarcoma patients and um, because i think it's important to kind of at least like have like some idea kind of what's um you know how much e2 is actually on the on, on the osteosarcoma cells and um so we actually we actually found that um, and there's actually a um, significant proportion of osteosarcoma patients actually are negative for GD2. Um, so about one in three of osteosarcoma patients are negative for GD2. Um, and then the remainder of patients, there's a bit of like a range. And most patients um, have G2 on almost all their tumor cells, but that's not always the case. There's a couple, um, there's a smaller proportion of patients who only have GD2 on like a subset of their cells, you know, you know like 50% or 60% or 70%. Um, there's a possibility that some of uh, some patients actually um, some of the G2 can be washed off. So there's potential to kind of get maybe slightly lower results than are true. Um, so the potential kind of for sometimes getting kind of false negative results. Um, but we've been getting pretty, pretty consistent results with the staining. So um, well, I think it's possible. I don't think that's like the main reason why, why um, proportional patients are negative. Um, so what we've been doing recently is we in the first step, we actually um, do um, screening for GD2. Um, if it's completely negative, um, then, you know, we, we wouldn't treat. If it's kind of somewhere in the middle, um, then I think it's like a, you know, matter of kind of discussing, you know, so are there other options available? Um, you know, are, you know, are our family still, are you still willing to try it, even though um, there's a proportion of um, the tumor cells that seem to be negative for the target? Um, if the expression is really high, then, you know, think then, you know, at least like, you know, that part we're kind of pretty confident, okay, like the, uh, we at least know that the T cells can target and kill off the, the tumor cells. Um, and, um, and, and the expression is generally a little bit lower um, in osteosarcoma than um, neuroblastoma. So it's like two components, like one is like, um, what proportion of the cells actually have the target? And the second is like each of the tumor cells, how much GD2 do they have? Um, so in general, um, neuroblastoma has more GD2 um, and um, so it's probably a little bit easier for um, for CAR T cells to to target it. But I've done quite a few experiments, and and it seems that um, CAR T cells can kill osteosarcoma cells just fine. Um, I th but I think there's a there's a potential question that maybe they don't get as much of a boost from like the killing because the D two is maybe not as high in all of the osteosarcoma. So so a couple of questions that are kind of still outstanding. Um, I think in the future, I think there's a couple of um, agents that I'm working on that um, seem to be increasing G2 expression. Um, so, um, you know, so this is kind of relatively early on. So, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to kind of, uh, kind of, you know, give you data that's 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 not kind of confirmed yet. But there's um, there's a couple of class of drugs that are already clinically approved that seem to be boosting G2 expression. So, something that might potentially be uh, something we we might so might be using in the future. And, and is is there a correlation then between uh, GD two expression and response? Are you able to? Um, it's 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 hard to know. Like you know, we've we've had a couple of patients, and um, you know, we're 
So we we test we 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 don't require post um, CAR T cell biopsies. So we don't have like biopsies on most of the patients. Um, we we did get them on a couple of patients, and um, so it does seem like the there there seems to be like a higher proportion of negative cells from like the post um, post infusion sample, um, and like the kind of really high expression pressing G two G two tumor cells are gone. Um, so. So, so it's possible, um, but I think in general, I think you probably want at least like 50% um, of your tumor cells to express GU2. Um, you know, I think if it's less than 50%, then um, again, we don't know like a formal cut of the protocol, but you know, I personally would probably strongly kind of discourage uh, people to, to, to kind of do this if, if less than half of the cells express GU2. Um, I think if it's more than half, I think then, um, you know, I think we, we've been getting um, clinical responses. So, um, you know, again, I, we don't have enough data yet um, to to know for sure. But um, you know, I think we're I'm I'm pretty convinced that there's like a like um, there's a proportion of osteosarcomas that have very little G two, uh, but most of most osteosarcomas to express enough G two to to actually get get killed by the CAR T cells. Um, okay, so um, so that's kind of like the, the the testing part. Um, so, so kind of getting to like the, the treated patients. So, so we had like a mix of, um, you know, neuroblastoma patients. Um, you have two different arms. One was patients with all lung meds, and those are essentially like most of the neuroblastoma patients. And then I think, um, I think all of the patients, all of the eight osteosarcoma patients actually had lung metastases. Um, so all of the um, lung metastases and patients were actually um, osteosarcoma patients. And, and then we had one patient um, who actually was a raptomyosarcoma patient who actually, um, was GD2 positive. Um, and we had a mix of, um, of um, uh, male and female patients. And like I said, um, all of the osteosarcoma patients uh, and the raptomyosarcoma patient actually had lung metastases. Um, and then median age was 14. And um, you know, most patients were kids, but a couple, couple of patients were for young adults. Um, so I think the most, um, I think, interesting um, data point to me, I think, is like the the CAR T cell expansion. Um, so here on the left, so this is data from like our prior G2 CAR T cell trial. So this is like a normal CAR T cell. Um, so that has signal one and signal two. So that's kind of what what people what people use for like all the FDA approved trials. Um, so you can see like some a line of purple. So this is like the CAR T cell uh, numbers um, with chemotherapy. So you can see with chemotherapy, um, the CAR T cell numbers kind of go up um, here and then kind of start going down. Um, so clearly like the chemotherapy is needed. And so if you don't have the chemotherapy, so like this is like the black line here. Um, so this is like the four hour level. This is essentially like the you know, initial um, CAR T cell level right after infusion. So you can see here, this is four hours. And like compared to at, at week one, you actually see like the line is actually going down. So it means like between like um, four hours and week one, um, these cells are actually not expanding at all. And some of them actually dying off. So that means like without this, without the chemotherapy with like a normal CAR T cell, and these cells just don't really grow um, and, and actually like die off over time. Um, so again, I think to me, I think the most important difference is like with this um, C7R, you can see that we treated three patients without the um, chemotherapy and you can see actually like the numbers actually did go up even without the, the, the chemotherapy here in black. Um, so that, that indicated Indicating that um, you don't need the cytokine that uh, that is made by the chemotherapy for these uh, for these T cells to grow. Um, so 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 what does that mean in terms of like the clinical um, kind of picture? Um, so first, like you know, what do we see in terms of side effects? So yeah, we did see cytokine release syndrome um, in eight of thirteen patients. Um, we didn't see any cytokine release patients in the three patients with alpha fibrillation. So we. Um, again, something you know potentially interesting. So even though they had very similar expansion, we actually didn't see cytokine release in, in the patients who didn't get chemotherapy. Um, but uh, most of the patients who got chemotherapy got cytokine release syndrome. Um, early on, so the standard of care is to lose, use some um, tocilizumab um, to treat cytokine release syndrome. Um, so that's what we usually use for all of the FDA-approved um, CAR T cell treatments. Um, but we actually found that actually wasn't really that effective to use tocilizumab. Um, so, so after we kind of looked a bit closer to like and what's happening in these patients, we saw that um, um, a lot of these um, 
this inflammation was probably a myeloid um, cell. So it's like a different types of um, immune cell that was causing the inflammation, not the T cells themselves. Um, so we target this and these myeloid cells with a different drug um, called anakinra. And once we started using this uh, anakinra earlier, we actually saw that we were able to control the CRS much better. Um, so, so we've been much more aggressive with using anakinra and, and that, that um, and that actually has resulted in like uh, not getting the really um, kind of severe cytokine release syndrome that we saw in some of the patients. Um, we didn't see any, so ICANS is, um, is uh, a type of neurotoxicity that's um, commonly seen with um, CAR T cells. So we didn't see any neurotoxicity um, and we didn't see any of the prolonged cytopenias um, um, that, that we see with other types of CAR T cells. So a lot of leukemia, cell, uh, leukemia patients get you know, very severe um, neutropenia for a long time, which can cause infections and other problems. Um, so, so it can take um, a couple of weeks for the cancer to recover um, in some of the patients, but we haven't seen like the kind of month-long um, um, clinically relevant cytopenias that cause infections in our patients. Um, so you know, like I mentioned before, um, we, we, did, we do think that using the anakinra earlier results in less, less toxicity and, um, and is, has been helpful. Um, Dr. Omar, so I know you don't really want CRS, but um, do you, is there, have you seen any correlation between the degree of CRS with response? Just because it's one of those things where you're like, is anything happening in there? You know, so um, any correlation between that? Yeah, I think it's a good question. You know, I think, you know, early on, thinking with the CAR T cells, you know, people say, well, you know, if, 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 if you don't get a fever, it's not going to work, you know. Um, you know, I think it's it's not really quite like that anymore. I think, you know, I think one factor is like how much how much um, disease there is, you know. So there's like a lot of high, very high tumor burden, you know, very big tumors and or a lot of tumors. Um, that means there's more antigen. So more antigen leads to more inflammation. More inflammation means more CRS. So, so patients who have a lot of disease um, do tend to have more um, cytokine release syndrome. And if you have like very little disease, um, you know, there's like less inflammation. So, so there's like less cytokine release um, syndrome. Um, and the second factor is like the dose, you know, the higher doses, we, we started seeing like a lot of inflammation. Um, and I think one problem is like that if you get too much inflammation, I think that these cells just kind of, you know, kind of start flaming out to some degree without really kind of doing what they're supposed to do, which is kind of going to the tumor. Um, you know, so, um, so I think some CRS is good, but I think if you have like too much CRS, it's probably not, not just not so a good thing, because like the T cells just kind of, you kind of get the cycle of inflammation and, you know, it's not necessarily kind of like, you know, like the good kind of inflammation. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't think that's like a straightforward answer, but I think they're, you know, cytokine release and to some degree, I think it indicates that the T cells actually like going to the tumor and recognizing tumor you know, secreting substances that cause inflammation. So um, um, in, in, in one, on one side, it's like a normal response. Um, on the other side, um, um, you know, maybe too much of that is probably not, not necessarily a good thing. And, and, the, and I think the reason like the inflammation is, is high is probably the combination of the chemotherapy. Um, so we know, so if you give chemotherapy, um, there's kind of like a rebound, so the bone marrow um, is empty, so the bone marrow kind of starts making more myeloid cells, um, and there's it's like a known um, it's it's like a known phenomenon, and people call it reactive myeloidosis. So like it's like a reaction essentially to the to the chemotherapy. Um, so if you if you give if you give the chemotherapy, um, you have this kind of myeloid inflammation just from the chemotherapy itself. So then if you add the CAR T cell to that, you, now you kind of, um, kind of supercharge that inflammation from like the, the chemotherapy. Um, and um, and while, the, while the T cell inflammation is like a good kind of inflammation, like the, the myeloid cell inflammation is not that, it's not, it's not a good kind of inflammation. So, um, you know, one way of targeting is like as anakinra, um, but a second way, and I'll kind of come back to that uh, um, few slides from now is, um, is to, maybe actually um, take out the chemotherapy again and say, well, it doesn't seem like we really need the chemotherapy for like the, the T cells, um, because we, we already have the cytokine supply uh, kind of built into the T cells. Um, so if you take out the chemotherapy, you don't really get this, um, this myeloid inflammation from the chemotherapy. So, so you don't kind of have this like kind of double whammy of like inflammation from the, from the, from the chemotherapy and inflammation from the, um, you know, from the, um, uh, from the T cells. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a few slides. 
Um, so these are the responses here. You can see um, the partial responses are all in neuroblastoma patients. Um, the patient had progressive disease, or neuroblastoma, the patient had like very, very, you know, advanced disease with like um, tumors essentially like all of their body. Um, so the, again, kind of indicating what I mentioned before. So if you have like less, if you have less tumor, um, you know, you tend to have better responses. Um, and like some of these partial responses actually last a pretty, pretty long. Um, so this is a seven-year-old um, patient with um, with neuroblastoma. Um, she actually had partial response to her initial infusion and with infiltration. Um, so she had a rib tumor. Uh, have the picture here. This is like the you know picture before. There's a picture after. You can see like the rib tumor resolved. She also had an abdominal tumor um, that also resolved. Um, and then um, there was a little area left um, in um, in in the leg. Um, so we actually gave her another infusion three months later, um, and that time without infiltration. Um, based on a couple couple other factors. Uh, and then the patient had um, just this um, very tiny area of tumor left for about eight months, and the which stayed stable. And then unfortunately, after eight months, this tumor started coming back again. Um, and we have we have one advantage with, with neuroblastoma that we don't have with, um, with osteosarcoma, um, which is, um, you know, we have um, um, like a nuclear imaging test. Um, so that kind of helps us to actually look at like the the tumor that's actually viable or kind of active. Um, so if you look here, so this is like an MIBG image. So this means like the, the kind of yellow signal here is kind of like active tumor. So the active tumor you can kind of see it disappears here. But if you actually look at, C at the CT scan, you actually wouldn't have seen a difference. Um, so I think um, neuroblastoma is a little bit easier in that we can actually see, okay, the, the active tumor kind of disappears or gets, gets, gets less. Um, but with osteosarcoma, we don't really have that um, ability. Uh, that's amazing, though, that there was that, you know, response for eight months. Um, yeah. But I'm curious, because you gave a second infusion after three months. So what are the thoughts about giving, you know, additional infusions every three to four months? Because that would have, you know, would that have prevented the, um, the recurrence at eight months? Yeah, something's a good question. So it's on the... So we have a separate brain tumor trial, and you know we we saw we've we we've seen that patients start you I know mean, patients have a response for about six to eight weeks, and then the tumor starts coming back. Uh, so what we've started doing is we kind of give infusions every six weeks. You know, so we you know so we give inf give infusion. Um, you know, after six weeks, we give, we give the next infusion, um, and this is still pretty early on. But like it seems like you know we can we can extend these responses by kind of giving like repeated infusions. Um, um, so, you know, we just started doing this in a brain tumor setting, um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, that's something that's, uh, you know, potentially a consideration. And it's a little bit hard, you know, because a lot of, you know, a lot of the patients um, are from out of town, um, and like the way we've written the protocol, you have to be in, uh, in Houston after infusion for at least three weeks, you know, so it's like a, it's a pretty big commitment, right? So you have to kind of come here, um, stay here for three weeks, and then, um, you know, if you do another infusion, you have to kind of come back here again. So, um, and we, we started doing that for the brain tumor patients, mostly for the patients who are a bit, um, kind of in, in Texas, so it's a, bit, a little bit easier for them to kind of get here. Um, but yes, I, I, it does seem like, you know, we can kind of extend like the responses um, if you kind of give, give these infusions every, every six weeks. Um, um, so this patient here is a patient with metastatic osteosarcoma. Uh, this patient is a very rapidly progressive disease. Um, it was chemorefractory. Um, so this patient actually did get one patient. You can kind of see the tumor here in the mediastinum, um, you know, pretty big. Um, it was actually a bit higher than like the threshold for like what we're actually allowed on study, which is like five centimeters. Um, but um, you can see that um, post-infusion, you can see like these kind of black dots, there's um, some necrosis, I mean, probably likely dead, dead tumor tissue. And then like the overall, overall size of this actually has, uh, has decreased. Uh, and again, it seemed like this, this patient responded for about two or three months and then the tumor started progressing again. Um, and this, the circle just kind of shows like the area where, you know, I think there's kind of necrosis happening. Um, and then this, this patient was interesting, was like this patient had a sodium fluoride scan. Um, so usually we don't um, get sodium fluoride scans, but like sodium fluoride scan is essentially like a way to kind of um, look at a um, that's kind of active. Um, 
And um, so on the CT scan, we actually didn't see any response. But then if you look at the sodium fluoride scan, you can see here like these black dots, kind of like active tumor here. So I just kind of highlight like an area here so you can see like, you know, there's there's like a pretty large area of tumor here. And there's kind of like, you know, quite a bit of tumor here, kind of on the lungs and the ribs. And um, you can see like post-infusion. So this is week five. So you can see, you know, this, this, this big area is a lot smaller. Um, and you can see like, you know, um, some of these um, areas actually have, have resolved. Um, so this is like five weeks after treatment with, with no other treatment. Um, and then, you know, similar, you know, this patient was, was pretty similar. So like this lasted for, you know, about two months and the patient uh, progressed again. Um, so, so I think in, in summary, um, so, so we do see um, cardiac expansion and persistence even without chemotherapy. Um, we haven't seen any cytokine release syndrome or any really toxicity without chemotherapy. Um, but we have seen um, a lot of kind of grade two, three cytokine release syndrome um, with, uh, with chemotherapy. Um, we did find that there was better control of the cytokine release syndrome when we used Anakinva first line for cytokine release syndrome. Um, and we had um, partial response or stable disease in eight of 11 patients um, treated post-infiltration. And, um, and actually a lot of these stable disease patients, not all of them, but like some of them actually did have improvement in some areas of their um of of their um uh, of their tumor um but again to really qualify for partial response on the criteria are pretty strict i mean you you know for example if you if 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 a lot of your tumor improves but there's like one new area then you know it's not a partial response for progressive disease so uh so there's quite a few patients where you know things actually did look better uh, for some time uh, but they didn't um they, they still didn't qualify for anything better than stable disease um, and I think one thing I've noticed, you know, for example, patients who have pain from their tumors, you know, we've had a couple of patients that significant pain. Um, so patients who have pain, they do have improvement in their pain, um, even with stable disease. And I think to me, again, this is like an indication that, you know, we're, we're seeing some um, tumor response and that, you know, the, you have decrease in pain, um, probably decrease in some active tumor. Um, but again, um, with a single infusion, you know, these, you know, we're talking about, like, you know, uh, response lasting like two or three months. Um, uh, and I do think that the CTD scans may underestimate the response. You know, like I said, like um, in neuroblastoma patients where we do both CT scans and DIPG, um, we often don't really see much of response on CT scans, but like we, we see an improvement um, on, on, on the um, DIPG. Um, so what are going to do, you know, uh, in the future? Um, so initially we, we thought, okay, well, we, we probably need the lymph location, um, um, even though these, these CAR cells have a cytokine supply, but um, uh, as I just showed, we actually get pretty good expansion without lymph location. So I'm, I'm actually just working right now on um, modifying the protocol to maybe just try a higher dose again one more time without lymph location. Um, so the thought being that we can maybe push the dose a little more um, if you don't get the cytokine release syndrome um, and, um, and maybe get a little bit less of like the, this, this myeloid inflammation. Um, again, we don't know if that's gonna work, but I think we have, you know, I think the data kind of indicates that, you know, it's, at least it's, 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 it's worth a try. Um, and with the advantage of that being is like, you don't need any additional chemotherapy. Um, you know, there's a no toxicity from the chemotherapy um, itself. Um, so potentially, um, you know, in the future, this might be, you know, if you can get the same same results with just the T cell infusion, um, without any kind of toxicity from the chemotherapy, this might potentially be like something you can kind of use as a bridge, kind of like as, a, as a break from uh, from chemotherapy, where you can maybe just kind of control the tumor for a couple months um, at least, and um, without any kind of um, you know bone marrow toxicity or things like that. Um, the initial patients we treated without inflammation, um, except for the one patient, um, didn't respond. But these patients also had very, very big tumors. So I'm talking about, you know, 10 centimeter, 10, 10 12 centimeter tumors. So it's very hard to kind of really kind of get a response if your tumor is, you know, um, is, is this big. Um, and um, like I mentioned, we didn't see any cytokine leasing in these patients. Um, and um, so we have an ongoing brain tumor trial with the C7RG to CAR T cells um, with promising results. And I'm mentioning it, it because like this trial is interesting because we're actually directly comparing the first three patients only got G2CAR T cells. Um, and the patients after that have been getting the G2CAR T cells with the C7R. Um, and we, we saw longer lasting responses with the C7R. So like without the C7R, the responses only lasted about um, three weeks. Um, 
And um, with the CCNR, we've been seeing responses um, that last, you know, um, that have been lasting uh, two months, three months, you know, four months, um, and you know, are still ongoing in, in, in some some of these patients. So, um, indicating that the CCNR really indeed does kind of improve the JGT-CAR T cells as we as we think. Um, and on that trial, so three of the three patients we treated with the CCNR actually had clinical improvement. Um, all of these patients actually had symptoms from their brain tumors. And we've actually seen pretty pretty minimal toxicity uh, with these tumors. So, so again, I think indicating that the CSNR does, um, you know, do, does um, actually do what we're kind of hoping to do, which is kind of extending the duration of the of the GTCAR T cells. Uh, and that's it. So I just want to thank you know Dr. Rooney. Um, she's uh, she's my mentor. She's been you know working on CAR T cells for a long time and T cell therapy. She was one of the first people to actually use T-cells to treat cancer. Um, and so she's one of the pioneers um, of the field um, of, of T-cell therapy and uh, actually, you know, pretty, pretty famous. Um, and then Thomas Shum, so he was a grad student who worked with me um, and, and, and uh, Dr. Rooney. Um, so he actually had the, you know, idea for the CCLR, you know, after, you know, a lot of kind of brainstorming sessions kind of late at night. And um, so he actually kind of came up with this, um, with this mutation. So, um, he kind of moved on. He's he's now at um, Harvard, so you know, I want to thank him for his contributions, and of course, you know, um, you know, thanking all the patients that um, that have enrolled on this trial, and especially early on, it's scary because you know don't know what to expect and kind of what's what's going to happen. Um, and then the funding for this trial was from like the Cancer Prevention Research Institute of Texas. Um, yeah, so of course, you know, if you don't have if you don't have money, then we can't do the trial. Uh, and then all the you know co-investigators, statisticians, um, study coordinator David Allen, um, you know him, and then you know the the, the people in the lab who kind of um, developed this, and um, and our regulatory team. So, uh, and then of, again, thank you one more time to to allow me to kind of share share our experience, and I'm happy to take any additional questions. Thanks so much, Dr. Amar. Please feel free to put questions in the Q&A or even the chat, and we'll look out for those. And then I think, Matt, you had a question. Yeah, I had a question about, hold on one second. I guess you were kind of going into this a little bit at the end there, but how long exactly do the T-cells need to endure like in the body for there to be an optimal response? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think we, you know, for example, in leukemia setting, we know that, um, you know, if they can stick around for six months, you know, then, you know, six to 12 months, I mean, then your, you know, chance, the chance for a cure is, is pretty good. Um, so, you know, we, so, so, so the longer, the better. Um, we don't know kind of what like the duration is really kind of for, uh, for osteosarcoma. You know, I think in general, I think the, the problems, if you don't, and if you if you don't really mop up every last single tumor cell, there's like a chance that the tumor can come back, right? So, um, so that's kind of the tricky part. So if you you know if you um, if you're not able to kind of you know get rid of all of the tumor cells, remaining tumor cells, then it's um, it's it's easy for the tumor to come back. So there's some some new approaches, you know, where people are kind of using um, uh, essentially like mRNA vaccines um, to um, to boost CAR T cells. Um, so I just saw some data from so BioNTech, which developed the Pfizer COVID vaccine. So they have they use like they using like one of their mRNA vaccines to boost um, CAR T cells, and this is like a solid tumor trial for um, actually ovarian cancer. Um, so they're actually able to kind of boost the CAR T cells. Um, um, so instead of giving repeated doses of the CAR T cells, they actually give um, they 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 give the this vaccine, and the vaccine kind of boosts the CAR T cells. It kind of they kind of keep giving these vaccines to kind of uh, to kind of um, um, extend the duration of the uh, how long the CAR T cells work. Um, so I think that's something kind of for the future. I think for now, I think um, kind of like Christina suggested, I think the, the best approach might be to just kind of repeat infusions. Um, and, and like I said, in the brain tumor setting, we have some data that, that indicates that actually does it actually does seem to work where it can you know, kind of keep chipping away at the tumor, so to speak, where, you know, with each infusion, you kind of get, you know, some of the tumor kind of at least gets controlled and maybe some of the tumor can kind of shrink. Um, so the thought is like maybe kind of keep chipping away at the tumor with kind of multiple infusions. Um, 
Okay, interesting. Thank you. And um, we just got another question um, from someone in the audience. They said, uh, could or would this be a treatment used for currently non-metastatic or patients currently NED as a treatment to proactively kill any undetected tumor cells? Yeah, I think that's I think that's very intriguing because I think you know you know I personally think it's I mean, it's much easier for 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 T cells to kind of mop up a couple of kind of you know stray tumor cells and kind of like you know tackle like a big kind of bulky tumor. So um, so so I think there's it would be very interesting kind of use use uh, you know cardio cells maybe like similar to kind of what some people use um, antibody therapies for you know so you. You know, for neurosoma, people use G2 antibodies to kind of as like an adjunctive treatment. Um, or if you just use antibodies, they don't really do anything or don't do much. But if you kind of use the antibodies after like all your other kind of chemotherapy and treatments, you can actually get like a higher cure rate than if you if you don't give the antibody. Um, mm -hmm. So I think CAR T cells might be able to do something similar. Um, I think for now, the FDA is not going to allow you to use it um, in patients without any active disease. Um, so it is, we are allowed to, to use it for patients who don't have metastatic disease, you know, so if a patient has a recurrent tumor and like, um, you know, the primary area of disease, so, so that, that, that would be um, acceptable. Um, and then if patients have no disease, what we have done before is, again, something we, we kind of mentioned earlier. So what we've done before is we, we've, we've made the CAR T cells, um, or at least kind of um, collect the blood um, and then made the CAR T cells. And then you know have the CAR T cells, and then you know there's been like one at least one one case um, of a patient uh, where they uh, then emailed me like a year later like oh yeah you know we just you know unfortunately like you know we we relapsed and um, so 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 yes we can potentially make it uh, that the CAR T cells um, before um, you know relapse so like uh, you know when the patient's like NAD. NAD. Um, but we can't infuse it unless there's like at least some measurable tumor. Um, and again, this is kind of based on the FDA. Um, and uh, they, there's a pretty high uh, high threshold to kind of use like these, these types of therapies. Um, and I think that might change in the future. And we have like, we now have like a lot of evidence um, that, you know, CAR T cells are relatively safe. Yes, and we kind of get the cytokine release syndrome, but, uh, you know, we, we haven't, we don't have any, you know, all these patients have, have completely recovered and there's, there's been like no kind of long-term kind of effects on, on these G2 CAR T cells um, to my knowledge. And we've treated, you know, now across like different institutions, we've treated, you know, probably a couple hundred patients. Um, so I think the, I think there's enough of a track record that you can, you know, make an argument that maybe, you know, maybe this can be kind of used like in the adjunctive setting where you just kind of, you know, do some other treatment or kind of do surgery and then kind of get the CAR T cells to kind of maybe increase here. Your, your or decrease your risk of, of recurrence. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really good, um, you know, uh, really good good question. Yeah, thank you for whoever asked that question. That was a really good question because I was just thinking we've had you know previous guests talk about different um, biomarkers for risk stratification. For example, I think at this point we know you know MIC is a pretty good biomarker. <laughs> risk. And so imagine even if you were NED, I know this is a trial, so you need to have some visible disease so that you can measure, but, uh, you know, this would be great, uh, to do after map, for example, is kind of a preventative for high risk. Um, uh, and Dr. Emmer, you're currently recruiting still, right? For this trial. Yeah. So, so we're still recruiting. I saw, I'm actually just work on this amendment to kind of take out the, like, the chemotherapy because I, I'm really kind of intrigued at like, you know, um, I kind of want to, Want, want to see if you can, you know, if you just use the key T cells, you know, could it kind of boost the, the doses without really getting a lot of toxicity. Um, so um, I'm working on that now. So it's probably going to take, um, usually takes about like two, you know, two months or so kind of for a protocol to be approved. Um, so we can still, you know, we can still um, collect, you know, we can still kind of, um, you know, do the testing and kind of make CAR T cells. Um, it's probably going to take at least, you know, about two months for you kind of treat like the patient without kind of the, the chemotherapy. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of the plan right now. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm just drafting the letter to the FDA. So hopefully, hopefully I can get this in either this week or next week. Okay, great. And then what we'll do, maybe is we'll share your contact information for those um, folks registered for this. Um, osteobite so that if they are interested in getting more information, they can get in touch with you. And um, thank you so much. What an, uh, so interesting. And um, we've
come to the end of our hour. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Dr. Omer on Osteobites and for making it better for pediatric oncology patients everywhere. Um, more information on this and all osteobites can be found on YouTube, on our channel, at our website, mibagents.org, and your favorite podcast place. And next week, we are talking with Dr. John Healy, the Chief of Orthopedic Surgery at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Dr. Healy will be joined by osteo warrior Brandon Friedman, and together they will offer perspectives on limb salvage surgery for osteosarcoma. So thanks again, Dr. Omer and Matt also for spending an hour with us today. And of course, to our sponsor, BTG Specialty Pharmaceuticals. And thank you all for joining us today on Osteobites. We hope to see you next week when we chat with Dr. John Healy and Brandon. Thanks so much. Have a good rest of the week. <laughs>